I liked how in the movie, this song, Darling Nikki, particularly, even in the movie, they were all like, that was embarrassingly terrible. And I can't believe that you did that. It's going to ruin your career. <laughs> like, Hello, 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 and welcome, everyone, to yet another week of 1001 Album Complaints. This is the podcast where lifelong friends, musicians, and music critics go through albums from Robert Dimery's list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die, give our in-depth dives, critiques, and complaints, and tell you at the end whether or not you actually need to listen to it before you die. This week, dear listeners, we have been listening to Purple Rain by Prince and the Revolution, but it's Prince. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to listen to a little bit of the uh, of the opening track and do some tweet-length reviews, but before we do that, just want to remind everybody out there, if you like what you're hearing, you can go ahead and subscribe. You can write us an email. We have an email, 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. You can, more importantly, tell a friend about it. We are doing great with growth through word of mouth, and uh, we will find that those are the best listeners, people who get a, a friend recommendation so if you want to do that fantastic uh otherwise strap in and get ready we're gonna play a little bit of the opening track from prince and the revolution's 1984 album purple rain this is the track let's go crazy dearly beloved we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun. Day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one. Doctor, everything will be alright. All right, and we're back. Hopefully you have not gone so crazy that you've lost your headphones or whatever other <laughs> device you're listening to this on. We're going to start throwing this around the room and get some initial impressions. I am going to throw this one first over to Adam. Adam, give me your encapsulated tweet-length review. Sure, this is Adam. First time through this album in its entirety. What? And regardless... Regardless of the genre, whether it's considered pop or R&B or maybe just a movie soundtrack, this album has one of the greatest rock and roll screams ever put to tape. It's also somewhat mediocre, in my opinion. So we'll see which side wins. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, coming in hot already. Let's toss it on over to Phil. Phil. Yeah, Phil here. Uh, I definitely had heard this record many times, and I feel like this record is really summed up early when Prince says, 
We're gathered here today to get through this thing we call life. And that means forever, and that's a mighty long time. <laughs> and, uh, and I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's where I'm going to come in on this one. I, my question is, is that a critique of the album, or is that just a critique of life in general, which seems like it takes goddamn forever? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, I think we'll dig into that as we, uh, as we explore. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Rob, let me know what you, what you think. Yeah, my tweet length review of Purple Rain, which I had heard before, is these songs aren't that good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, first of all, you guys are all wrong. <laughs> Rob, you ignorant slut. <laughs> Yeah, so my, my tweet length review, this is Tom here. My tweet length review is basically uh, Purple Rain is a flawed, uneven, and occasionally bloated vanity project that still manages to be one of the most iconic albums of all time. I think that they can both coexist. It can be a bloated vanity project, it can be very uneven, and it can still be one of the most iconic albums of all time. I did not necessarily say the best albums of all time. It's an iconic. I mean, I agree the marketing was good. Well, yeah, he 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 made a movie to market it. So, <laughs> or was it the other way around? He picked uh, a we'll color for that Christ's too. Sakes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, released June twenty fifth, nineteen eighty four. Purple Rain, sixth album by Prince, was it's officially the soundtrack to the movie Purple Rain that was also released in nineteen eighty four. Before we get to all that, we're just gonna do like a quick background on Prince. Everybody is relatively familiar with Prince, I would imagine, but we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of a run-through. Prince Rogers Nelson, born June 7th, 1958, in Minneapolis. Uh, he had a jazz singer for a mother and a pianist composer for a father. Basically, if you've seen the movie Purple Rain, it's a highly dramatized version oh, of his life. Okay. Uh, like, uh, but highly dramatized. His parents divorced when he was 10. That led to him having a pretty unstable living environment. He was kind of sometimes living with his mom and stepdad, sometimes living with his dad. Eventually, his dad threw him out of the house. He ends up moving into the basement of one of his next-door neighbors, uh, the Andersons, and actually the son of the Andersons uh, is this guy, Andre Simone, uh, who ends up being the bass player in the revolution. So good for them. They took in a, uh, you know, a, a poor struggling kid as a charity act and they got a career for their son out of it. So if you had said that he moved into the basement of the local sex shop, I also found that credible. <laughs> you know how parents, you know how parents are required by law to say it's not their weird kid's fault that they got divorced. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. He's eccentric. Certainly. Eccentric, yes. But you know what? Listen, good word he for always it. had a really good sense of himself and what he wanted to do. And that's something that I personally have always respected. You talk about somebody like a David Bowie. David Bowie was like a long haired kind of queerish dude rolling around the streets of, of uh, London or Birmingham, wherever the hell he was from, certainly getting picked on by people for being kind of fey and eccentric and smash cut eight years later and everybody in the world wants to be him. And yes. Prince kind of had a similar thing going on where he right. was this weird little, and by little, I mean little. He's a little guy, <laughs> very eccentric, dressing to, even for the 80s, he dressed extreme. And somehow managed to become 
not only like one of the most successful musicians of all time, but like a style icon and just one of, he's one of the few mononyms that exist in the world that you just oh, know exactly yeah. who you're Forgot talking about. Forgot about that. You got know? a Madonna, Cher, Prince, Bono. Can't think right. of a whole bunch more. And yet that name wasn't satisfying to him for very much long after <laughs> after this album was out because then he had to change it to a symbol. Well, yeah, that was due to um, some uh, record disputes, right? Like he basically was locked into a record contract that he was not a fan of and he didn't he wanted to release albums but not have the record company be able to fully monetize on him and his image and all that mm. he had built up which is why he changed it to the symbol so he rebranded wow well, I, I, okay. famously he would perform with like slave written on the side of his face because he had like contractual mm. obligations about the amount of concerts he had to perform and the amount of albums he had to put out which I, terrible life that you live in I make listen. millions of dollars to me he does guys he does have the the i that the icon you know the the logo the symbol it, yeah 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 the symbol it is emblazoned on his bat bike that is on the cover of purple rain i don't know if you've checked out the cover but you know it's hiding in there on his custom made purple three quarter size sorry listen again i know there are many anecdotes about bad corrupt record executives make trapping artists great artists in contracts but do you think his eccentricity just had a little bit something to do with whatever was going on there too well here's what i would say uh, it, it yes his eccentricity i'm sure had something to do with that but also his again sort of very clear vision of what he wanted to do like when he was 19 years old Based upon the strength of a demo that he made, he gets a recording contract with Warner Brothers. They gave him a three-album deal promising him full creative control, and he retained all of his publishing rights. Like, you don't get that as a 19-year-old with nothing on your resume um, unless you are very much demanding that. And, like, that is absolutely something. I need complete control of not just the making of it, but what I can do with it afterwards. Yeah, I mean... Just to support what you're saying, I agree. He has oodles of confidence, and he's a great example of the that confidence is sort of everything. I think. Sure, confidence is sexy. It really, you know, what they say, Prince is like the. Uh, this is not even a. This is a quote that I'm, I, I can't remember who said it, but somebody basically said in the '80s, Prince was the guy at the party who would steal either your boyfriend or your girlfriend, depending on if he wanted to. Um, there is not <laughs> any indication that he was gay, even, but just that he right. could sort of be just like, "Listen, you can be here with your boyfriend, and I'm just going to take him because I'm cooler than you, and we're going to go hang out and do stuff, or I'm going to take your girlfriend and we're going to do some stuff," you know. Like, <laughs> Also, it is important to note about Prince that he is one of those like crazy, he's a crazy virtuoso. His first album that he put out, he played all 27 instruments on the album. He wrote and recorded and produced and arranged all of the songs. And he did, he produced all of the songs for his entire career, basically. He produced everything. He was that guy who just wanted to have that creative control. Well, it's funny you mentioned about the confidence thing because I remember seeing it might have been Bandstand with was that Dick Clark's show back sure. in the day? Yeah. So I think they had Prince on there with his band, and he was super young, nineteen or twenty. And Dick Clark comes over to interview, interview him, and he almost seemed like he had something going on. Like he wouldn't answer, he wouldn't look at Dick Clark in the eye. He was super shy. So it's interesting to think that maybe that confidence built over the the first few albums to where he became this style the stylized icon this version of a of a musician 
Well, you know, it's interesting. There is a phenomena where you are a like crippling introvert unless you're on stage. Michael Stipe from REM has famously said that, that he is not, he is the kind of person who is super shy. He will not engage strangers in conversation. Like he doesn't like being famous because people want to talk to him and he's really like standoffish and shy, but super eccentric and flamboyant and emotive when he's on stage. It's like there's a stage version, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So can we talk about the multi-instrumentalist thing? Because it's undeniable to a certain extent, meaning he does play a lot of instruments and he did record, he tracked a lot of the instruments for maybe even for this record or some of the ones for this record, but definitely on previous records, right? But I also think, and this came up a little bit on the Lenny Kravitz episode, that that itself is a marketing decision. Meaning how good do you actually have to be to be marketed then as a, musical prodigy that's that's a lane that i think that Mm. executives identified and maybe even he identified early and definitely lenny kravitz identified for himself and just because you happen to play drums and piano and can hold down a beat to play a drum track it doesn't make you stevie wonder i just want to throw that out there like where Uh, show me where the virtuosity is on display well like i'm looking i'm looking at uh i'm looking at the for you credits Right. The, the, Tom, you're saying this is the record where he played everything, right? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, supposedly he played everything except for there was like, there was like yeah, one yeah. person who like helped write one verse of a song yeah, or something sure. like that. Everything right. else is him. But he's got yeah. lead vocals, backing vocals, all instrumentation, producer, arranger, engineer, and dust cover design. Okay. So those last two, like Rob, to your point, there's nobody else on earth who could have been placing microphones and moving wires. He had to engineer this. There was nobody better than Prince to do that art. There's literally no, nobody. We have another term for that in the English language called control freak. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And I could, I could see that. Freak. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But that I think that, that part of that comes down to having such a manicured image and again like a really a really clear sense of what you want to put out into the world and rob you talk about like where's the virtuosity on display i am familiar with the second album that he put out it's just called prince another one where he did all of the instrumentation on it it's a great album and honestly there's some really funky good drum beats on it there's some really good bass on it like it's it's I the kind of performance is uh, really hot <laughs> that song is hot as hell that's a really great song and really i don't listen to that and think man you should have got somebody else to play that beat mm. or man you should have got somebody else to play that those keys or something like that it sounds ex- like exactly what you'd want it to be again it's it's not flashy but it is very very well, good i will admit that i i'm only really familiar with this record and what i'm saying is you could call him a virtuoso maybe vocally that's reasonable based on this record and perhaps on the guitar or at least he's he's a good guitar player certainly but i don't hear sure. it any any other places in fact i hear a lot of drum machine and and uh, surprising lack of bass on many of the songs for instance sure well th- no they had a full band for this so the revolution was a band that he was kind of assembling over time because do you want to talk about the time also which is another band that he like put together and wrote a bunch of songs for from the time that he put out his first album in 1978 until 1984, when Purple Rain was released, he put out a total of eight albums, five of which with Prince and three through the time, writing and producing basically every song, 
One of those albums was 1999, which was a double album, by the way, which I didn't quite realize was a double album, but that was it was a double album, sold 4 million copies, and he made a movie, like, all during that time. Yeah, he was, I didn't realize how hard he was working between 78 and 84, and that assumes he did no work before 1978. He's work up brilliant, <laughs> 1978, yeah. you know? <laughs> Yeah. Did he have a meal. breakfast cereal by any chance? Because that's the true sign of the the trifecta. More power to him. He definitely worked hard. He definitely, he's a very industrious character. I will certainly give him that. But I do think this is one of those examples where the prolific nature of his songwriting might have gotten in the way of the quality control aspect. One thousand percent agree with you, Rob. <laughs> I, you know, Prince put out so many albums over the course of his career and they are all very uneven. They all have a couple of really good songs on them and then a couple and then mostly it is songs that they should have been developed further. Um and we'll talk about it specifically in terms of one of the songs that we're going to do on our focus list here, but you can tell that there was an idea, a nugget of an idea. We talked about this on the Bruce episode. Nugget of a good idea not developed and workshopped long enough and thrown down on tape and they moved on. And I think that with somebody who is as crazy prolific as Prince is, you get that problem of like, well, why would I revisit this? I already wrote this thing and it's done and I moved on. It's also, I think, part of the reason why he was so successful writing songs that he gave to other people that they then workshopped and turned into big hits. That's an interesting Um, thought, yeah. Like the Sinead O'Connor, Nothing Compares Mm -hmm. to You is is just superior to Prince's, any Prince version of Nothing Compares to You that I've heard. You know, the Bangles Manic Monday, fantastic. Interestingly, the year that he put out Purple Rain, which we have not actually talked that much about the album Purple Rain at this point, but that album, first of all, sold 23 million copies, which, (laughs) I mean, just come on. That's a lot of copies. Not only did it win a Grammy, it also won an Oscar. So what? he is like it won the Oscar for the best original score, for best Oof. original score for a movie. So he has he's like halfway to an EGOT. Some <laughs> Oscars are invalid. Let's just say it. Some Oscars are invalid. Listen, in this age of EGOTing, <laughs> that is a that's a that's a squeak by Oscar. Like what was yeah, even, like what else was hack, even up? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that, that's definitely an Oscar hack. Yeah, best song or best <laughs> movie sound. That's bullshit. Yeah, Rob, this is this is a good goal, right? Let's let's hack, let's hack an Oscar. Oh yeah, yeah, that's gonna happen. <laughs> the problem that you got Challenge nowadays accepted. is you got these you got these absolute killers writing these fucking Disney songs that are just really objectively yeah. good songs. Yeah, absolutely. Can't yeah. compete with that shit. Yeah, and Conto blows me away. Yeah, I guess and, that's Pixar, uh, but we we can move on. Let's not go down that road. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but in that same year, a song that he also wrote that Shaka Khan did won a Grammy in that same year. So basically two of his songs won Grammys. One of them was for best, uh, best soundtrack that he won for purple rain. And then I think it was like best R and B song Shaka Khan won for a Prince song that he wrote. He just, he just throws out a bunch of shit. He's real, real prolific, but let's talk about, we can't not talk about the movie purple ring when you talk I, uh, about the soundtrack yes, for speaking of things he's not great at acting 100 <laughs> percent agree with you i had never heard him speak 
In my entire life, I didn't know Prince could speak until I started watching Purple Rain. By the <laughs> so way, I only made it an everything. hour. <laughs> right. I, I made it an hour into it. It was just like, oh, God. Well, so. You missed the part where his dad shot himself? <laughs> oh, spoiler alert. Yeah. Thanks, you bastard. I was kind of half watching it as well. But just all for right, anyone all right, who good. hasn't seen the movie, he dresses exactly like he dresses on stage, <laughs> but all the time. So he basically <laughs> looks insane. Yeah. yeah. He basically uh-huh. looks insane. That but pirate like a, shirt. Yeah, pirate. He looks like a pirate. <laughs> Even like in the context of like a highly stylized 80s movie, he stands right. out as somebody who is taking it a bit too far. But it is, again, it's, a, it's a, like a very stylized version of his life, that uh, club that they performed at in the movie, what was it, First Avenue? Mm-hmm. That's the real club that he played at a bunch in Minneapolis. And also where three of the songs on this album were recorded live at a benefit concert in front of a studio audience, which I didn't know. Pre- I, I mean, I found that out like a couple of years ago, but it kind of blew my mind because it didn't doesn't necessarily sound like. That's true. Yeah, they don't sound yeah. like like live recordings. Are we also going to gloss over all? The, I mean, the, his portrayal in the movie, however over dramatized it is is not flattering to him at all. He's a no. he's a woman abuser in the movie on a couple occasions. And then there's the part where he has women in his band who are like begging him to just even listen to the song they wrote and he's like fuck you. And then eventually <laughs> yeah. he listens to it and it's Purple Rain, you know. Right. Which by the way he also wrote. So it's like because those are the, that's the revolution. Those are the real members of his band. He right. made them all take acting classes. I he probably exempted himself from those <laughs> acting classes yes. based yes. upon the output. Blatant. But Something. Here, Something. here's the thing that I want to get across about this movie, which I just it just cracked me up. He demanded that he would not re-sign with his management company unless they got him a movie deal. He was like, I will not sign with you unless you get me a movie deal. And at the time, he had not had any acting experience. He had a couple of music videos and like a few live TV performances, but that's it. There was nobody clamoring for a Prince movie. And in (laughs) fact, they shopped it around town and it got turned down by everybody. And so somebody on his management team said, well, I'll just fucking produce the movie then, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But $7.2 million budget. 72 million dollar box office like you knew something they didn't right it's still well okay let's put it in time con yeah so it's still it's still revered i just watched the movie for the first time this week it's abjectly terrible but people still have a warm (laughs) fuzzy feeling about it to this day so i was a little surprised by that i understand that the songs are connected to it and people like the songs but but really they seem totally separate but the context in the 80s right is that the rise of mtv was this the most charitable read, or the, the way I conceptualize it, is that Prince was one of the early adopters of the music video and said, oh, wait a minute, now a visual image is going to be used to market and sell music, and that's going to become much more important than it was even four years ago. I, I need and to he choose the visual that. image that pairs yeah. with the sound. Well, I like was, how he, Yeah, he I, was positioned to do it. By the way, I'm just picturing this world and where it's just like, Prince in the studio in 1978. MTV doesn't exist, and he's still dressed like a goddamn pirate. Exactly. He's like, exactly. doing his he's thing, like, oh, going grocery one? shopping yeah. and shit. You know? yeah. Like a Finally, pirate. people can yeah, see totally. how much. Like, yeah. Totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, well, he first. What a weirdo. Let's just get that out there. Prince is a, is a weirdo. Such a weirdo. Uh, and never yeah. stop being weird. Uh, sure. By the way, never. Agreed. No. Phil. 
Phil, you, Phil had shared a story with me. Phil, I don't know if it was a, a an engineer or oh, producer yeah, yeah. that you know yeah, yeah. that had either uh, another, you're right, a couple couple people removed. Yeah, but no, no, worked it, with some, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy to dive in. So I met a guy in a recording studio who was, yeah, he was a, a luthier and just like at a tech for the band. He was like, okay. he worked in the studio and he worked on the road for the band uh, who owned the studio that I was tracking in. Um, and he had been Prince's guitar guy, I guess, for uh, a year or so. Um, and he said when he got offered the gig, you know, he called a few friends and they were like, you know, you have to take the gig, but also like know that you'll be fired unceremoniously. Just like know that <laughs> you'll be fired unceremoniously, which he said it's- did. He said did happen. He said after about more than a year, he said they had one sound check that went really terribly. And after the sound check, Prince was pissed. Um, and everybody went to lunch. When Prince came back, he was still pissed and he found some fan was not running to, as to cool <laughs> off his amps before the second sound check. So he wanted to find out whose job it was to turn the fans on and off. And it was his, so he got fired for not turning off the fan or something. <laughs> but, awesome. it, but in addition to that, he said that, I want to say it was Madison Square Garden. He said they did some tour that was opening, you know, like somewhere crazy, like Madison Square Garden, you know? And he said that Prince... Like that, you know, they set up for sound check. After sound check, Prince fired the front of house guy. Just fired him. <laughs> just like you're fired. I'm gonna get a new sound guy. <laughs> so they're like scrambling around the city uh, just to find somebody who could run the rig. Real literally, uh, you know, and th- these sorts of many stories like this. Well, yeah, I'm sure that's sure. how you get the best output. Is just fire the guy unceremoniously, <laughs> make them drag some random dude off the street to run your rig. You get, I mean, yeah, I'm sure he knows people, but yes, but yes. Yes. But to get, I've always put it in the con, or this is how I think about it, is that there's a lot of times when people get famous and get rich, and that makes them weird. Certainly, that process changes you, I'm, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. I think of Prince as kind of the opposing example. This is a weirdo who also got <laughs> famous, and he just and rich. He leaned into it even farther. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can definitely picture like a seven-year-old prince just like walking around in high heels and like you know like (laughs) strings of pearls and lace and just being like yeah trust me this is gonna be cool someday (laughs) (laughs) and somehow it did make it cool i mean i wonder how much of an impact he had on the popular fashion of the day because he was i mean he was definitely iconic is the only way to describe it you know absolutely yeah, you know Prince when you see him. If I ran into Prince in a t-shirt and jeans, I'd be so disappointed. I'd be like, come on, man. Like, what? No, no nothing going on? You don't even have, like, weird <laughs> earrings or something in? Okay, fine. You know, it's got to be exhausting to keep that up all the time. Anyway, random tidbit that I did not realize until later that I loved. Do you know who played the dad in uh, Purple Rain? Oh, I, I did recognize I, re- I recognized the guy. He played I don't know Samson Simpson in Half Baked. <laughs> Which I, yeah, I, I was definitely like rewatching the movie and trying to be like, shut up, bitch. Like, <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite lines from, from Half Baked. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. oh, man. So, anyway, listen. 150 million albums sold over the course of Prince's career. You cannot deny that he had a formula that when it worked damn did it work we talked a little bit about let's go crazy you know we can do a little bit of, we don't have to do a super deep dive on it before we move on to 
the the beautiful ones. Anybody want to say anything about Let's Go Crazy? The only thing I'd like to add is that, you know, I really do respect Prince and he shows really tremendous growth from his 1978 initial release through Purple Rain with the production and the sound quality. And really, it's really evolving always. This is a big step from 1999. And that's probably the last nice thing I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to play just a second of this song for us here. And then I want to make a comment that is going to infuriate Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Now we're back. How is it that Prince and the Revolution in 1984 on the Purple Rain soundtrack still have a more restrained use of synth than Bruce Springsteen does on Born in the USA? I mean, it would be infuriating if it was even anywhere close to the fucking sanity. Listen, listen to this song and tell me that the synth on this song is less cloying and less but this uh, is the most rock and roll then. song yeah. no that's the thing this is this is actually one of my favorite songs on the record because it sounds like rock music it's about rock and roll excess it's about partying it's about soloing it's about energy i almost thought it kind of paralleled the hair metal strand that was going on in the 80s the motley Cruz of the world and poison and such it's, it also has a little bit of neutron dance in it but but yeah i agree on this song the synth is very restrained through the rest of the album no effing way dude Sure. I'm not saying that is necessarily uh, from beginning to end a, uh, you know, a restrained synth uh, clinic or anything like that. But uh, <laughs> We're talking about the beautiful ones, right? No, we're talking about Let's Go Crazy. Let's oh, go okay. Crazy. For a Let's second there, I was, I was getting very confused. <laughs> no, 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 no. We can move on to the beautiful ones. Let's let's just Hold pop on. it. Hold the, on. Oh. The, the anecdote I remember, I don't know if Tom's going to try to cop to this one or not, is when we were in a band <laughs> and we were thinking about playing this song. And I got a lot of crap, I believe, from one Tom Monahan that this was not a popular <laughs> song, that no one would recognize this song if played in a room. And then my comeuppance came because Prince was booked to play the Super Bowl that year. That was definitely me. That was and definitely me. Lo and behold, <laughs> that was definitely me. he opened the I damn set. Because I definitely with Let's didn't. Go crazy. I definitely didn't know this song. I feel like in many ways you highlighted the importance of this song. And lo and behold, you were absolutely right. I also gave you a lot of shit for that too, Rob. That was that was both Phil and I gave you shit saying that nobody would know it. And the comeuppance that was received, by the way, was basically the greatest Super Bowl halftime show that has ever been performed. And Correct. it probably is up there with like one of the better like condensed concerts that have ever been performed. How do you get it to rain as you're closing with purple rain? How does that work? <laughs> He really did kill it on that one. Dancing around great. on a wet stage in like four inch stilettos while rocking. I Badass. agree that halftime show was excellent. <laughs> Possibly the best ever. But now this is going to be a knock against Prince's whole career, which is look at that set list that he played. He played, I think, three or four songs from this record. <laughs> and then he played a couple covers. And that's it. But no, he's this and great, that was the prolific greatest, right? artist for 35 years. Give me a break. He is a great prolific artist for 35 years. Okay, it didn't show in the, that Super Bowl set. 
<laughs> this is one of those things where, Rob, you're a big fan of saying that, like, well, you're wrong because, you know, the, <laughs> if you have an opinion about music that it, that it, it disagrees with mine, well, you're just wrong. I do love saying that. You're right. You do love saying that, yeah. <laughs> I would not necessarily say that I like a lot of the Prince material that was out, but you cannot deny that that man has somehow struck a chord and sold a hell of a lot of albums and sure. had a hell of a lot of hits. Agreed. So. I again, I, I 100% copped it. Prince is the ultimate greatest hits guy. He could put together a killer double album of greatest hits, and it would be nothing but bangers wall to wall. I mean, I, I'm looking. But he at did his, it over the course of like 40 albums. I'm looking at his Spotify top 10, and I mean, they're all rippers. And I'm, I, 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 there's actually only one that I just personally hate, but that's just because I hate that song. Wait, which know? one is that? Little Red Corvette. Oh, I love that song. I can't. Song. can't yeah. To be clear, <laughs> I'm not arguing he's bad. I'm arguing that he's overrated. That's all. Okay. And yeah, because enough, he is rated very, very highly. He, he is rated, rated very, very highly. highly. I agree. And part of that is personality. I think that he has the kind of personality that people want to like because he's weird, but he's not like off-puttingly weird. I think it makes people feel like they're a little dangerous liking somebody like Prince or that they're like eccentric too by proxy because they like a guy who's ob- so obviously weird. Anyway. Let's move on. We're going to move on to the next song on the album that we're going to talk about, which I think illustrates, uh, again, it's an encapsulation of Prince's career. You're going to go from Let's Go Crazy to The Beautiful Ones. Absolutely the low point of the album for me. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I liked it better when it was called Crimson and Clover. Oh. <laughs> that is that is boosh. This is the one where a second ago you you know you're talking about like rock and roll excess and like ripping guitar solos, and I was like, nothing even starts to happen until three and a half minutes into a five-minute <laughs> yeah, song. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> That's kind of a theme with him on, on a few of these songs. Uh, this this is the one that I highlighted as as suffering from that prolific artist syndrome, where the melody over the chorus is just so in lockstep with like the synth that's going on in the background, no counter melodies, and it just hammers that one idea to death. And by the time and Rob, I know you've stated that that like that's just pop music. I don't necessarily agree that that's pop music. I think pop music does have a lot of repetition in it, but it repetition is made palatable by the counterpoints and like an underdeveloped song doesn't have the counterpoints and this just didn't have the counterpoints for me. There is a point in this song, it's like at like 2.42, where the synth just starts doing this like pitch bending thing 
and it bends itself so far out of pitch that it just gets like comically unpalatable we can maybe let's just play just like a little snippet of that starting at 242 and we can we can get an idea of what i'm talking about going for with that it's it's not he, he dials it in after a minute but i'm glad you highlighted this because this is the sort of thing that a third party producer would say nah you're gonna have no, to do that's that a bad again idea. yeah you're gonna have to roll right. that one again <laughs> you should think a little harder about what's gonna happen at the, in the back half of this too <laughs> i do i do think the freak out at the end, I talked about what a great screamer he is. And the end of this tune, uh, in, in the movie, he's on the ground freaking out and pointing at Apollonia. Do you want me? Whatever the line is. But I would love to see him in the studio because he is absolutely shredding it uh, on those vocal take on, on this vocal take. And I, I totally dug that. Agreed. He's a great vocal. He has Lenny Kravitz syndrome again, which is he is a great singer. But he uses the same trick too many times. It loses all its power. Are you referring to the trick of a of the one scream note, or are you referring to the trick of the falsetto? Because he he goes back to both of those wells pretty often. I think he's a very talented singer. But yes, I was referring to the screaming in the back half. Yeah, of the, the scream, the scream right, vamp right. thing. Yeah, like Steven Tyler has a, a hard scream vamp, right? He's got a oh, yeah. he's got the yeah. dow that he likes to go to yes. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> And I will admit, listen, if I could scream like that, I'd probably do it all the damn time, too. But uh, oh, I do yeah. think that he has he has good vocal range, and he's got a good timbre to his voice. Like, I think I actually find his voice to be pretty pleasant. And so I don't think he needs to be using that crutch as much as he does. But you are right. It is great. Like, it, it is an iconic scream. Let's move on from this song. We're going to talk about the song Darling Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend I met her in a hotel lobby Masturbating with a magazine She said, how'd you like to waste some time And I could not resist When I saw little Nikki grind And I just couldn't believe my eyes She had so many devices Everything that money could buy She said, sign your name on a dotted line The lights went out And Nikki started to grind Nikki 
lot of content here, guys. Yeah. All right, so I'll I'll start this one. First off, Tipper Gore is full of shit. All right, so <laughs> she had said that the reason why this she wanted to get the parental warning on albums was because she's like saw her like 10 year old daughter dancing to this song which is a lie this is the least danceable song on the entire album unless you're already a stripper at which point then it's probably a good dance song which i assume her daughter wasn't so tipper you're full of shit sorry if you were a stripper this wouldn't be a good this song is stilted like that is my note on this this song it's like so just like jarring and stilted it, it it doesn't flow at all it's anti-dance to me yeah this song sucks yeah <laughs> you have this song like, does suck you have basically one production trick which is to drop out the bass out of your songs which i get it and that's it it was a cool innovative idea <laughs> but you overused it it's I, you know hey hey, hey prince prince are you there prince right, you there not, buddy he's dead He's dead. Princey over there. <laughs> Look for a little role play action here, Tom. Oh, okay. Hey, Prince. Prince, buddy. Hey, this is... Uh... What's going on, Rob? How you doing? Hey. <laughs> well, this, uh, it's not Rob. It's actually your bass player, uh, Terry. We grew up together. We're brothers, basically. Oh, okay, I got, yeah, yeah. I was thinking okay. for this next tune, I got this cool bass line that I, I, like that I wrote. I like by the way. <laughs> I've been working on it. I've been working real hard on this bass line. What do you think? Can we get this into, you know, this is going to sound great over, uh, over your screaming vamp. How about you shut your whore mouth? There's no bass. <laughs> God damn it again, Prince. <laughs> Only my <This> ideas. <laughs> this has been a production of the... That's awesome. Oh, man. I, I, I want to get back just for a second to a comment that Rob made earlier about how poorly his portrayal in Purple Rain ages. The way that he treats women is terrible. Oh my god. Not just from the standpoint of like hitting them occasionally. The psychological stuff that he does, it it's really weird and really controlling and I kind of don't like even Apollonia at the time, who was a woman he was trying to make a career for because he made a career for lots of women. Let's get also get that out there. He definitely took a lot of women, got them famous, wrote songs for them, gave them a career. I'm sure because he was trying to bang them most likely uh, i'm just gonna guess that he was he was a great uh phil, f- he was a philanthropist in later on in life and apparently gave away a lot of money did it anonymously but there's no way that he wasn't doing this with some ulterior motives but even apollonia in the movie as she's acting she must be like am i supposed to like this like I'm clearly dealing with this weird abusive stuff from you in real life because you're going to give me a career. But in the movie, you're just some asshole who's like the third string act at a club. Why would I take this from you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I liked how in the movie, this song, Darling Nikki, particularly, even in the movie, they were all like, that was embarrassingly terrible. And I can't believe that you did that. It's going to ruin your career. <laughs> like, and then it ends up on the album very prominently. Yeah, this isn't one of the live tracks, though, right? Because there is that weird... No. no. I, I, one of my notes was, what the fuck is up with that duck quack part into the gospel choir? That is the oh. most tacked-on outro I've ever heard. Yeah. It's like backwards singing, right?
Um, when did he become religious, by the way? Because um, contracting this tune with uh, whatever, you know. I, oh, yeah, so he's, a, he's a Jehovah's seventh Witness. Seventh-day right? or... Jeho- he, okay, he got it. He was raised right. Seventh-day Adventist, um, became a Jehovah's Witness later in life. And by the way, like apparently did the Jehovah's Witness thing that you have to do, like went out and proselytized and yep. knocked on ah. doors and shit to tell people about the good word. I bet you he probably had the highest conversion rate of anybody to like, so wait, if I go to church, I get to hang out with Prince? Eh, yeah, all right. I can, I can see that. <laughs> We're going to talk about on um, another song that has a lot of really religious overtones. I think that it was kind of a through line for most of his life. I think that, oddly enough... This guy who was somewhat known as like a sex pest freak, not a sex pest, but like a freaky dude who was probably into some weird sex stuff. At least a lot of sex. I think he was pretty religious for most of his life. It seems to be kind of a through line in a lot of the stuff that he has done. There's a, a interview that Questlove gave where he's talked about being at Paisley Park, the studio that Prince built, the uh, you know in his home, mm-hmm. and basically. They were hanging out, and Prince apparently had a swear jar, and he was really militant about it. Like, if you said shit or whatever, he would make you put, like, $20 in it. Like, it was not like a put a – it was like put well, $20 in the swear in, jar. Yeah. yeah. And Quest Love apparently was there and was just talking like a normal human being talks, and Prince was like, hey, like, you got to put some money in that swear jar. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't allow swearing in here. And he said to him, you were the guy growing up that taught me what it was to be dirty. He's like, I listened to your stuff and it was sexual and dirty. Like, you taught me that. And apparently Prince got really bummed out about that. And was like, oh, oh, man, really? Oh, that sucks. Like, I totally did not mean to do that for a generation (laughs) of youth. It's like, I don't know how you... I don't know how you thought you were not going to do that, dressing in, like, assless pants and stuff like that. I mean, back to what he was unabashedly great at was image image curation right and i heard a, i heard an anecdote in there somewhere that he kind of talked to the other folks in the band and he was like everyone is going to represent a different archetype on stage but you know and you're going to dress that way and you're going to exude that and his archetype was pure sexuality and that was a very much like a designed thing so credit i mean credit to him for for that i think he really that plus picking the color which when we get to the song Purple Rain, like I want to know, was Purple already associated with him? I'm a little confused about that, but all very smart moves from an image curation point of view. Yeah, I mean, he was a, uh, he was definitely good at being famous. Like that, and I think that is a skill. I think it is a skill to be good at being famous. So yeah, I, one thing I will say is that I liked over the third chorus of this song, there's some really nice guitar work. Um, oh, yeah, it's yeah, kind of right. just before like the, picky the, guitar work. Before the, uh, there's a, a kind of cool solo before the, the choir. The weird breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> I would also say that it was one of those things that never occurred to me in my earlier listening of Prince that he actually was kind of a shredder. Um, the things that I would hear on the the album, I guess not having 
done a deeper dive of the specifics of it, you don't think of. I would think that there was just somebody else. Like you got Steve Vai to come and do that or something. Yeah, like, you know? yeah. He he rips, but it's also like it's not the. You never hear a guitar player shred, and then that's like not what the band's about, right? Like kind of at all, you know. Um, it it is one maybe one place where he shows a lot of restraint as a producer. <laughs> like a lot. Mm. <laughs> right. I don't know if I'd say it that way. The band's definitely about him. But <laughs> sure. I, I, I know what you mean. Not all the music is dictated by the electric guitar. So fair enough. And he, he definitely is a good guitar player. But I see your point, though. It's like when you're playing everything, what does it matter? Yeah. You're already, you're already showing off the entire time, sure. basically. <laughs> You know, speaking of a song that starts with some really interesting guitar work, uh, we're going to move on to the smash hit, When Doves Cry. Dig, if you will, the picture of you and I engaged in a kiss. The sweat of the body covers me. Can you, my darling? Can you picture this dream of a can courtyard? An ocean of violets in bloom. Animals strike curious poses. They feel the heat, the heat between me and you. Just leave me standing. Alone in a world that's so cold. thought that the intro guitar lick it's just like what 20 seconds or something, like four seconds sure. or something like that it gave me like skunk baxter vibes just in terms of like the notes that it chooses to hold on and bend to and stuff like that it's just a really weird way to approach the guitar and the tonal center of that song <laughs> Sure. And I think, like, you think about the timing, too. Like, this is a kind of an interesting, like, response to the existence of Eddie Van Halen, right? Like, nobody else really <laughs> had a response, right? That I was, was going to say. <laughs> I, had a, I had, like, kind of a closing joke about that, that I think the best touchstone for Prince might be the band Van Halen, because he's half Eddie on guitar, half David Lee Roth on strange vocal nonsense in the booth. And... In addition to all that, I'm sensing a lot of anger towards the bass player. <laughs> <laughs> this particular song is when it works very well. If you listen to you listen to When Doves Cry, it's not just that there's no bass. There's like nothing except for the weird uh, e drums until like almost a full minute into the song like after that intro they go into like a full minute of just singing over drums which is kind of weird for a smash hugely successful song hey hey prince are you, are you there buddy hey what's prince. up what's up rob how you doing <laughs> uh, prince this is this is uh this is jimmy your your drummer oh, from hey, the revolution up, I yeah, like your hair. I know we got the uh, 
I know we got the session tomorrow for uh, the first single, and I just wanted you to know I've been working really hard on this drum beat, and I think it's going to be really yeah. funky. It's going to really lay a nice bed for you to do your thing, man. I'm, mm. I'm just excited to be a part of this session. You should probably work harder on your mascara. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to put in some, some e-drums, all right? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> No, honestly, I I think that this is an e drum kit. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a drum machine. I'm pretty sure this is him playing an e drum kit live, mm. but it does feel very synthetic. Yes, but I I dig this song. I used to hate this song, and I actually really dig it now. I hear you on the. I used to hate it. I like it more now than I once did. <laughs> I, f- I found this to really. This, yeah, yeah. so my exposure to the movie Purple Rain and therefore my initial exposure to a lot of these songs was I had the cable channel Prism growing up because they had the Philadelphia Flyers away games. And this was like one of six movies they had paid for. So this was just like infomercials. Like this was just running constantly. So I never really watched it, yet it was always on. And this, this sequence just really sticks out as particularly odd and weird. I, I'll, I'll say this for it. I'll play the other side a little bit. It is This is an iconic song, and what I mean by that is not only was it a huge hit, but it really doesn't sound like anything else. Nothing else. This production sure. is thoroughly strange and a part, you know, it's its own thing, right? From the production, yeah, everything about the production is just weird from, from how it's structured it really stands out in the musical canon as being a singular thing. I don't think the other songs have the, that quality, personally. I would say that you're right about that. It, it is a well-written song. I think that, the, especially talking about the, you know, maybe I'm just like my mother, maybe I'm just like my father. Like, it's those are relatable lines. But you're right about the, the weirdness of the production choices. There's not a held chord in this song until two minutes and 50 seconds in. That's the first time you get a chord that is held. Every yeah, other like time it's like staccato, yeah, plucked through staccato stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, it would not be fair of me, as much as I do like Prince, to not mention the, the, the pet peeve that I have on many of the other songs, artists that I've called out before, is that this is a five minute and 52 second song that could have been a three minute and 20 second song and not lost anything. And in fact, gained quite a lot. There's a lot of outro to this song. I, yeah. And that, that's a complaint I have for a bunch of the tunes, but just, just to stay on the structure and the production, it, it takes a lot of weird turns. He does the weird vocal harmonized, almost sex noise section that then leads into a fifth of Beethoven synth solo. (laughs) (laughs) He's got ripping guitar at the intro. He's got ripping guitar kind of later in the song, but in the middle, like you said, there's almost no guitar, certainly none of that particular electric guitar. I think it's all synth and drums and synth drums. It's just, it's, it's the hook is so weak too. Like the intro, which is that ripping guitar and it's getting ready to come in and you're like, yes, this is going to kick ass. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Like it sounds like an Oompa Loompa song being played on. I don't know. It just. But I, I, I never. Say, it is impressive that that holds down the tonal center of the song, and like you hear the you hear the chord changes in there, even though there's almost nothing to even imply them in a lot of different places. I, so I find it to be an exercise in impressive restraint on this song. I I, I think I think that. 
I know why you don't like this song, Adam. Rob, I know why you don't like the song because it kept dancing in the dark out of being the number one song in America. I like this. I like this song just fine, and I think it's a good. It's a credit to what Prince can do when he's really being creative. And I think the reason you can hear those chord changes is in large part due to the quality of his vocal. That he the he vibratos through a lot of those notes. He falsettos through a lot of those notes and implies a lot of what's going on. He harmonizes himself, which I don't think he does on many of the other tracks, if any of them where he doubles himself or he does some other stuff where he stacks vocals. So to me, this is this is actually a really good version of Prince. I, I wouldn't say I particularly love the song, but I admit that it's very good. Tom, does my dick band do a cover of this? <laughs> they do cry? not. They oh, do not. That, okay, would be a, that would be a great <laughs> one. <Yeah. laughs> they, uh, you know, they haven't put out a follow-up album, unfortunately. Oh, man. You know? All right. One writer's, of the few... writer's block. Right. <laughs> 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 I mean, they write themselves. Come on, right. uh, you know one of those one of the few bands out there that's like pay what you want. And I was like, I will pay like full freight for this album. I'm gonna go <laughs> ahead and give you the full twenty dollars that you deserve for this one. Uh, yeah, art deserves to be recognized. Art deserves to be recognized. <laughs> Very much like the next song that we're gonna talk about here. I would die for you. Spelled, I would die, number four, letter U. Apparently, that's a Prince thing, and he would write almost exclusively in that type of a script where he would simplify it as much as possible, do a little bit of like uh, that Orwellian, like, Newspeak stuff. Cocaine is a hell of a drug, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so this song's about Jesus. Did oh you know gosh. that? Wow. Whoa! No, yeah. no, I didn't. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, like the line, like "I'm your Messiah. You're the reason why. All I really need to know is that you believe. If you're evil, I'll forgive you." Like it's all. It's about Jesus. This song well, is after like the, legitimately after, about Jesus. After the rest <laughs> of the album, though, you assume it's about sex, and like he is the. Messiah. Dude, Jesus right. bangs. Come on. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus was uh, a lot nicer to women, I think. I uh, would, yes. Uh, I, didn't watch, I didn't watch the movie again. I don't know. Back in the day, it might have been like, eh, it was an open hand slap. Look how caring and gentle he is. Don't spare your wife the rod. <laughs> well, Phil, in the movie, the, the first egregious moment of Prince being a, a true asshole is that he convinces Apollonia to, to dive into this lake naked. And she gets out and then he like hops on his motorcycle and drives away. As she's like completely soaked in the middle of a field, like fifty miles in away from Minnesota, everything. Minnesota, in by Minnesota, the way. this like, is in oh. SoCal. We're just like, yeah, yeah right, right. I can just walk. Dip. Yeah, this seemed to be like fall in Minnesota. I mean, so it's like ten. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. just kind of like you're watching it now, and you're like, wow, he's an asshole. Like that's not cool. Yeah. So I know that this is probably going to be a. Uh, a, a, an opinion that is not shared, but this is actually the song on the album that I listen to the most. Like this, the, the song's on a couple of playlists of mine. I like the song. I think the song moves. I, I'll, I'll agree with you. 
uh, apart from this, the mega hits, so to speak, this is the most cogent song to me. It reads as a song. It reads as a complete statement of something. It's definitely super 80s, but it hasn't been blown out like those other tunes. I couldn't possibly put When Doves Cry on a mix, for instance. Sure, sure. Now, you mentioned that it's super 80s, and I 100% agree with you that it's super 80s, but I think that this might be one of those things that it's did so much of the defining of a sound for a several year period of time that like when you say it's so 80s it sounds like it's derivative or something like that but i think this might have been defining and not derivative i I actually think and i is one of my my notes here on this song specifically is i actually think this song sort of aged the best like i Mm. think if if a another pop star released this today and it was more or less just a different vocal their vocal you know I, I could see this being. A I could see that, and I could see what you're saying about the sound too. I, I I can buy that. One of the things I don't know if this is how related an anecdote is, but one of the things I heard that put it crystallizes it a little bit for me was the idea that another exa- a previous example, pre Purple Rain example of the Minneapolis sound, so called Minneapolis sound that they were influenced by, was that song Funky Town. You can probably call back the exact synth tones that yeah, are being used right, in that yeah. tune. So I, I don't know. It's to me, it's relatively easy to draw that line and then take that into the eighties. I I thought the synth tones at one ten. It's this weird duck kind of horn <laughs> noise that is just. Uh, it's pretty bad. Tom, I'm surprised that this would appear on your list because I feel like this is one of the more egregious synth uh, disasters on the album. <laughs> you synth know, crimes, synth yes. crimes. Listen, I, I, I don't mind super synthy songs when it's not a rock song that just has synth thrown on top of it. Right? Okay, not, not the synth pad of yeah. like the soundscape. Yeah. synth sound versus the right yeah i don't mind i don't mind uh you know i don't mind a bunch of 80s stuff that is very synthy my problem with the bruce stuff was that i just felt like i just wanted it to be more bruce and less 80s sure and it was a okay bit too 80s and not not bruce enough this is certainly 80s enough <laughs> even the best of us can be wrong tom but <laughs> and bruce was yes he was <laughs> jesus Apart from the terrible grammar, which Jesus certainly wouldn't approve of in the song title. <laughs> what is going on right at the opening second of the song? Try go go listen to that for a second, rewind it a couple times and like what is that? <clears throat> or I know what it is. I think I think it's like a little guitar slide or something, but it makes no sense. It doesn't drop into anything. Yeah. Uh, it's the opening note to that blues traveler song. <laughs> Run around, yeah. <laughs> Yo, you know what that is? That's the bass player. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Finally. only. That's the only love he was able to get. <laughs> Prince, just give me a little something. You get one tenth of a second. It's Terry, man, at the start. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's great. Phil, I agree with what you're saying that this has aged very well. And I think that ironically part of the reason why it aged so well is because it really does lean into the eightiesness of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it doesn't sound like a watered down version of something else 
that like they just threw the 80s on top of it sounds like the stilled 80s i definitely feel like to the source yeah yeah, if you were going back and saying like how am i gonna make my record sound 80s but not uh, not cliche i could see browsing this album and sort of iding this song it's like oh there's some characteristics here i could emulate that don't feel totally played out right but also are, are obviously like very 80s like very you know of the times, yeah. Yeah, like you know exactly. You don't hear this and be like, uh, huh, what was that like? 91? And that was coming sure, out? You know, like, sure, sure, yeah. 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 But but it also has a connection to the present, which is to say that it sounds a little lo fi, like someone made it on their laptop mm-hmm. as a single person sure. doing this project. Or they recorded <laughs> it live uh, in, front of a, uh, in front of a crowd at a benefit concert, which they did. Is that really what this is? This is a live take? This is a live take, yeah. Oh, that is surprising to me. Right? Wow. It's pretty surprising. It's a live take. Now I'm way more impressed. <laughs> did they do they didn't do any overdubs or anything on the live takes? They did a few overdubs, but all of the vocals uh are live. Uh the drums that you're hearing were live. And they're the E drums, but they were they were recorded live. I don't know if they specifically did any I don't believe they did any overdubs on this. They did string mm-hmm. overdubs on the song Purple Rain. That were not in the live version of it that was recorded, but uh, it was pretty. So minimal. it must be it's 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 the sound guy diving for the bass volume. That's why we get that little bass thing at the beginning. Oh, so he's turn it up. It, yeah. Get that volume up. <laughs> Prince is gonna fire me. <laughs> the guy who recorded it was actually the brother of the drummer, and apparently he called him up and was just like, "Hey, we're playing a benefit concert, and I kind of want to record it." I don't know, maybe we'll use it for something. So he brought this like mobile recording rig to actually the place, the First Avenue, that a lot of, yeah, yeah, it's like a lot the big of spot. Purple Rain was shot in. Yeah. yeah. And that's definitely like a cool spot in Minneapolis. I think that's like Minneapolis's version of like the tower. I don't know how sure. big the room is, but it's like, you know, it's it's the spot. I've never been to Minneapolis. It just seems like a square city. I don't know, prove me wrong, all of our listeners. I, I, I hear it's pretty hard. Right. I've, I've heard it's on the come, but I think at this time it was actually kind of hip. And this is hmm. shortly after this, you had all that indie, you had an indie scene like Husker Du leading into Soul Asylum coming out of there. I did not realize it's Soul Asylum. I thought they were Pacific Northwest, but uh, no. No, Midwest. No. Uh, you're not exactly selling me on it with Husker Du and the Soul Asylum, by the way. <laughs> uh, all right. The fact that we could think of two bands that came from there, it's plus impressive. Prince, is it's better than most American cities. Yeah. Better than most American. Uh, Minneapolis is a pretty big city, though. Um, you know, it's it's certainly sure. You know, I guess more people than I could say the name name that. Name two artists out of Cleveland. Uh, the president of the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, I don't have another one. Drew Carey. (laughs) 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 Yes. Uh, Let's move on to the last song on the album. The last song that we're going to talk about the song Purple Rain. I'm sure everybody's heard it, but let's still play some of it just in case you've never heard the song Purple Rain and clicked on this podcast link by mistake. I 
good song i it i feel like this song you have to be in the mood for it but when you're in the mood for it this song hits very well i'm seeing adam i'm gonna ask you your opinion on this song because you look like (laughs) i have never been in the mood for this song (laughs) (laughs) wow really it gets it gets good at the seven minute mark where the strings come in and do all of these crazy diminished and band finishes after the band finishes (laughs) and the, the the overdub strings come in and start doing all kinds of crazy. I just never this just song. I don't come know if on. it's because it's been omnipresent. I just it never did it for me. Is this you hate joy and fun? Is that? I it? think I do. Yeah, that might be. This isn't joy, but no, this is kind of like a cathartic, emotional, waving your lighter in a stadium vibe. Oh, sure, it. sure. Yeah. Re- recreated on a record, which I which I do think is impressive. I like the. I just want to point out because Adam just mentioned the end of the song. I timestamped it. The band hits the final chord of the song at 6:40, yet the track has over two minutes left. <laughs> yep. Oh, this is the trimmed down version of it. The original version of it oh, that they recorded God. live clocks in at 11 minutes, and they did edits throughout the song. There was a third verse that they cut out. There was oh, wow. a uh, another guitar solo that they cut out. So, honestly, a lot of credit. To uh, to Bobby Z, the drummer, for being locked in because yeah. you cannot tell mm. where those cuts come. Oh, oh snap. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he's got right. to have a click track in his ear or something. Or and, something. And, and, yeah. and even so, still like nailed it. Props to you know? Props yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Fuck yeah. Not well, easy. I want to know how much because it, it comes off like improvisation, but it very well might not be. Both Prince's vocal vamp at the end, which I think is a great little melody. And the little three-note guitar line that that repeats. So, interesting that you asked that. You can find a video of the original performance of Purple Rain that was used on the album. I found it on a Reddit forum like years ago, and he finds that 
he finds it in the, he he's playing a bunch of different Live stuff and he's kind of kind of going around it and then he finds it and they just snip out all of the searching ah, and they just give you the finding in the, that's in pretty the final cool. version of it. That's pretty and cool. And it's like a shitty recording. It looks like somebody stuck a camcorder like in the back corner of the room and it's not even well centered. A 1983 or like that. camcorder yeah. Yeah. by the way. So it's like I'm sure it looks like garbage. And it's like the intro where the guitar comes in, it goes on for like a minute and a half. And then they end up, you're just like waiting for it to start. And that's actually kind of the way that he performs it live. There's a ton of intro when he performs it live. I can see milking it live though. I mean, yeah, for a live version, it makes sense. It makes sense that it goes on so long. I would stretch I would this to, to 20 if I was, to, right? This is your encore yeah, song. Set, and you, yeah, yeah. You, you stretch it to 20 and you end the night on it. Yeah. And if it's raining, yeah, it's the whole set. Right. <laughs> The rhythm guitar, because I feel like I haven't been very nice about the tone. I, most of the tones on this record don't really strike me as that great. They're, in fact, they're a little grating. But I like the rhythm guitar tone on this, which is not Prince's electric guitar, right? The, the like the chorusy sound at the beginning. Yes, yeah, correct. I agree. Yeah. And also after like after the record basically doesn't have guitar, it feels very fresh, right? It's a fresh sound. Uh, yeah, forty minutes true. in. So apparently, Wendy Melvoin, the guitar player, is somewhat responsible. Like in the movie, Lisa and Wendy, the keys woman who plays keys and the woman who plays guitar, are credited with writing this song. Prince wrote the song, but he wrote this as a country song. And it was originally supposed to be a country song, and then he heard Wendy. They was like, hey, let's just try this song at the end of a practice. And they he started playing it, and then Wendy started playing it the way that it appears on the album with that sort of that kind of intro guitar. And he was like, "Scrap all of the thoughts I had about the way that this song is supposed to sound. We're going to completely reproduce it." They apparently worked for like six straight hours on it, and then they were like, "That's it. That's the song. It's done." Which I thought was really interesting. I would like to hear what the country version of this song would sound like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And I, I apologize. I didn't learn the I didn't learn the tune, but maybe Adam or Phil or somebody has learned it. But what are they using? They're using like a lot of open strings in those chords. Is that what makes it sound? I know I know the chord progression kind of descends, but they're using like ninths or something. Do you know what they're doing there? I mean, it sounds. I, I don't know, but it sounds like they're that that opening might be a G, and then they they open that up to the E, so you get that low dom, but you still get the same droning. That goes oh, down. I'm not talking about the bass though. I'm more talking about like the the notes on top of the chords sound very open stringy with consistency, oh, okay. more so than just strumming through open chords. I wasn't sure if uh, what what chord extensions might if you might know the I answer gotcha. to that question. But. I do not. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question either. But I think if you watch the performance of it that they do in Purple Rain, she's actually playing the song. Like not the real recorded version of it, but I'm. Um, she's actually playing it, so you can see what chord she's playing hmm. in the. Okay, I'll pay for that again on Amazon. Another three ninety nine. Do you want it in standard or high def? <laughs> Definitely worth it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this song is actually the last song that Prince ever performed live, because uh, as most people probably know, he sadly passed away uh, in April. Yes of 2016 at the age of 57 from an accidental fentanyl overdose Jeez. which same thing that killed mj right no mj died of a propofol overdose ah my bad um, okay. which is a propofol is a um anest- it's an anesthetic 
Uh, and he had a doctor who was an anesthesiologist who was like giving it to him to help okay. him sleep. Uh, but he's clearly addicted to it. But uh, Tom Petty also died of an accidental fentanyl overdose. It's just, I think this was around the time that fentanyl was really kind of blowing up and fucking everybody over. And, you know, people were getting killed left and right mm. that were just trying to do probably like some cocaine or something like that. And he got some fentanyl in it. Anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate as to what or why he was using it but yeah he died of an accidental fentanyl overdose which what was that five years ago sucks. was it 10 10 years ago when no, was no it? it was like f- six years ago okay got it Ugh. which again that just sucks i i don't have a problem with the length of the song adam i know you were complaining about the length and about how you know it, it's it is certainly indulgent I will say that, but it has a but bit you guys, of that. But you, you guys pointed out some things that I didn't necessarily, not that I wrote this song off just because, again, I've heard it a thousand times. Luckily, never had to play it because uh, I honestly <laughs> yeah. don't think I could do it justice. No, it's 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 good hearing some, some additional thoughts on it that I didn't necessarily uh, have in my head going through this for the 8,000th time in my life. <laughs> Tom, which songs were recorded live again? You said it was Purple Rain. Purple Rain, I Would Die For You, and uh, what was the other one? Hold on, I have it in my notes here at the beginning. Oh, Baby I'm a Star is the other one that was recorded mm-hmm. live. So the last the last three tracks. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was just curious. There, I, You know, I had known that this was recorded live and i was sort of like oh they did a really great job of cutting out the crowd sound i don't think that they actually cut the crowd sound out you i can think the he- crowd was being quiet yeah and you, you can hear there are points in it where it does sound like there are some cheers and and some some ambient background crowd noise yeah i was i i gotta note that there's like a guy who like right at the beginning of the third verse was like i know times have change and some guy in the crowd just goes whoo Right, <laughs> like forever, that guy is just, you know imprinted yes. upon digital media for the rest of eternity. <laughs> I'm sure Prince hates that guy. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, again, this is a song that has a time and place. It's it's almost oddly kind of like stadium anthem type of music. Mm-hmm. I would have really loved loved to see this live. I I think that this would have crushed live and. Uh, oddly one of those songs that would have been better with you know thirty thousand people than it would have been in a 300 person club oh yeah yeah didn't we see it didn't we see fish do it <laughs> did we see the fish same. do it with a vacuum cleaner or something <laughs> I'm sure, well phil is the uh I, I, fish historian I, but... I do not know that i have seen fish perform oh with a vacuum cleaner i Let me get back to him. i am pretty sure i know i remember the show that you're t- it was an indoor show right think so yeah okay i thought i it's it all blends together to be honest but yeah, i wonder why <laughs> <laughs> uh all right before we you know uh before we digress so, into so talking many about vacuums it all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before we start going through the catalog of the john fishman vacuum solos here which i'm sure is just riveting listening for our viewers I mean, if you really if you really want to run down all the instruments no prince has ever oh, okay, played okay. is vacuum ever <laughs> mm. what a puss yeah seriously <laughs> all right you know what i changed my vote <laughs> <laughs> But let's no one get should to ever it. Play vacuum. It sounds terrible. Let's get to it, listeners. Let's get to the voting. We have beaten this album to death, dissected it, talked it up, talked it down. 
figured out that Adam is anhedonic and just uh, can't appreciate good art, and that Rob is bitter about Bruce Springsteen being kept off of uh, the number one spot. So let's get to the voting. Adam, I'm going to throw it to you first. Is this an album that you need to hear before you die? Yeah, so I... Off the top here, I didn't know a lot of, or I've, I've never listened to a full a Prince album all the way through. However, this one came off like a Wish.com version of itself, which I just, it just didn't do it for me. I, I thought it was, uh, we mentioned earlier, it was a little disjointed. There's, you know, one or two bangers on there, but I think you can pass on this one. Okay, so we have one incorrect vote so far. So what is <laughs> I am I am actually gonna go ahead and agree with Adam on this one. While this has just a couple mega smash hits, and this isn't a dis to Prince at all, uh well his skill at all, it's obviously a dis to Prince. This as an album, as forty-five minutes of listening, this is tough. Right, this is this is expert level stuff, and I I it could not hold my interest in that way, uh, so I'm gonna give it a no. I'm gonna flip this goddamn table when we get to the next <laughs> Let's Robbie, let's hear it. <laughs> this is the same group who voted off synchronicity, by the way. That's so a you fair got, point. You got no legs to stand on over here. <laughs> well, you know, I'm gonna surprise you and go yes. Because I think that Prince is an undeniable force of nature. I ascribe to the idea that, you know, it's important to hear these songs, I would say more than once. And and, and here's here's how I'll, I'll say it. You can't have not heard Purple Rain or When Doves Cry, understandably. But I think that listening to the album forces you to pay a little closer attention. And I do think they're worthy of that closer level of attention. Does the whole album... Is it great front to back? No, definitely not. And will it, in fact, deflate maybe a little bit of Prince's mystique in your collective consciousness should you, the world, listen to it? Yeah, probably, but maybe that's for the better. But either way, he's a force of nature. He's he's had a huge impact on the music industry, and I do think this is his best work. So, yeah, I say yes. All right. Rob, I'm going to disagree with you that this is his best work. I think 1999 is a better album than Purple Rain, personally. Um, but... I am also going to vote yes that you should listen to this. I will say an emphatic no that you do not need to see the movie Purple Rain. But <laughs> please do not give any more of your money to those filmmakers. <laughs> but you should listen to this album. And I, I, I will agree with you, Rob, that I think that it warrants closer attention than the cursory listening that you probably have given it throughout most of your life if you are a person who's just familiar with music from the 80s. And I also do think that it had a defining impact on a lot of the 80s sound, a lot of the 80s style. And yeah, you're right. You're going to listen to this and be like, I was expecting Prince's magnum opus to be just banger after banger after banger. And it is definitely not that. It's got some real high highs. It's got some low lows. And it's got some filler, too. But I still think that it is worth your time to listen to. Especially because Prince gets brought up in conversation a lot, and if you want to have something intelligently snarky to say about some of the shittier yes. Prince songs, you can oh, listen to this album. That's a really good point. I'm not going to change my vote, but I thank you. I, I appreciate the, the insight. Yes, made that, it all worth it. Yes, yeah. totally. <laughs> like next time that you're at a party and somebody is like, uh, "Hey, uh, you know, Prince is just the greatest artist of all time," you're gonna be like, "Oh, really? 
Baby, I'm a Star. Can, right. we, can we talk about that one for a second here? Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know what? I have a very funny anecdote that this, how this podcast like helped me in life. I was with my wife. She had, through her company, gotten a trip where we went without the kids. We were at an island in the Caribbean. A bunch of her coworkers were there. We were on a boat. We had just gone snorkeling, and we are going out to a bar that was literally like a hut in the middle of the ocean dj blasting music on there but it was just somebody like controlling on their iphone but they had like a great speaker system and one of the older co-workers came up and was like hey can you guys play buffalo stance by nana cherry (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that's gonna happen but uh, hey, I was like, yeah, I know from the opening track from the album, We're All Like Sushi. <laughs> totally. I know it's 1989's like, We're All Like Sushi. <laughs> she was like, oh, you're so sm- cool. <laughs> Smash cut to Tom crunching down on the cyanide pill that he takes on every vacation. <laughs> <laughs> It's happening. It's happening. I did the adult version of it and was just like, give me yet another Mai Tai. So I right. had to worry about this. <laughs> But yeah, I was definitely like, oh my God, five and a half minutes of Buffalo stance oh. coming my way. <laughs> but she was like, oh, you know exactly what, you're a fan too. And I was like, sure, <laughs> sure, <Right>. yes. <laughs> it's no man child. Yes. It's no man child. <laughs> oh, that's great. Tom, before we jump off, in your research this week, did you find any information on whether or not Bat Dance was or was not actually popular? Because I couldn't really seem to find much on it. There's a very long music video. It's very confusing. I remember that. But I imagine that first that this was Michael a smash Keaton. hit, yeah. right? This was probably huge. Sounds like a Mandela effect situation. Oh, uh, wait a second. Weekly charts. Found it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to bum you out here and say that Bat Dance probably did really, really well. Fuck, it hit number one. <laughs> did it really hit number one? In the U.S. and Canada. Ooh, it really did. Ouch. <laughs> Was that 88, I'm guessing? 89. Batman. 89. 89. All right. Yeah. Oh, man, you guys you guys should really... It, it, uh, in addition, uh, if you just go down the Bat Dance, like if you just decide to torture yourself, there's a... I think it's called the Vicky Vale Remix. Definitely check that out. That's definitely... <laughs> worth 15 minutes or so of your life don't miss it another another thing that i just want to throw out there then this is the complete non sequitur but i can't help but mention it is that um uhf also came out like the week that i believe it was batman and what was the there was one other huge movie that came out that week that like uhf was was pitched against and just completely bombed even though it had tested through the roof you you know me uhf is like one of my top 10 movies of all time oh you know what it was wait hold on do you guys like weird al i didn't know that from doing this podcast (laughs) so in the month that uhf was released Batman Lethal Weapon 2 When oh Harry Met God. Sally Honey I Shrunk the Kids <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out oh, poor <laughs> it weird just got completely swamped by like oh and the uh, and Weekend at Bernie's so like a bunch Those of just came out the same weekend as UHF not the same weekend uh, Indiana Jones and Batman came out the same weekend Honey I Shrunk the Kids and Ghostbusters 2 and Lethal Weapon, they all came out like within like the, like like, the bracketed months. by weeks, yeah. So competing mm. for all those dollars. Anyway, that's right. I, 
it, Weird Al's career tough could have break. been so much better if uh, <laughs> you know he could have had a mm-hmm. long and storied movie career because apparently he tested through the roof and uh, they thought it was going to be a hit and then it just got completely dogged by some real stone cold killers. <laughs> Anyway, if you think that we are right about our love for UHF, <laughs> please come and write us at 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. That is 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. Always love to hear from our listeners. Uh, we do get a lot of cool emails that have uh, interesting insights. Uh, we always want to talk to people that are big fans of the work that we are uh, that we're dissecting, and hopefully, you can provide some perspective that we were not able to get in a week's worth of research. So, one zero zero one album complaints at gmail dot com. Subscribe, tell a friend, give us a review. That'd be great. You know, I don't really care what you say, but it definitely helps get the word out there. It helps more people see it. The more reviews that are out there, whatever their weird algorithms do, they. Look at reviews kindly. So if you guys want to do that, that would be great. Only thing left for us to do now is to get our homework assignment for next week. So I have the Albinator here. Uh, I have it all primed and ready to go. Hopefully it will be the Batman soundtrack that we're going to listen to. I know that they are really excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's check it out. Drum roll, please. Next week we will be listening to... Hmm. It's an animal thing it's not a batman it's a mermaid mermaid avenue by billy bragg and wilco yeah i don't know about that i don't i don't know that mm. dad rock here we come yeah i mean i know wilco i feel like yeah i guess we'll dig in I guess I'll dig this in. is like post or like maybe like post wilco breaking up or like right around when wilco broke up or something like that i don't know but before they, they didn't break together. up didn't they they broke up at one point right no, I think one one of the founding members left at some point, and they happened to be making a documentary at the time. Okay. Whatever. That happened in the early 20, 2000s, I, I want to say. I was never a huge Wilco fan. That uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, whatever that is. Yep. Yeah. That's an okay album. Not bad. Rob, I remember you put me onto that by putting undeniably the best song on the album on a mix for me, and then I listened mm. to the rest of the album, and I was like, oh, okay, well, all downhill <laughs> from that one song. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Let's let's uh, everybody listen to Mermaid Avenue for next week. We will be uh, giving some nice, long, drawn-out opinions on that. Um, and as always, really appreciate everybody listening, giving us a little bit of your time. Hopefully you learned a bit. Hopefully you had some fun, had some laughs, maybe had some uh, smashing your headphones and disagreement moments. Uh, always like that, too. But until next week, I have been Tom. I'm Adam. I'm Phil. And I'm Rob. A boosh. Smash cut to Tom crunching down on the cyanide pill that he takes on every vacation. (laughs) (laughs) It's happening. It's happening.